You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Valchunas. Eric, I grew up watching PBS, right? And there's a show on PBS, really famous, The McGoffin Group. Yes, I love that show. SNL did a lot of good send-ups of it. In like Dana Carvey early, yeah, as, as McLaughlin. John McLaughlin. And what, what made it funny is John McLaughlin had, like, no patience. And, None. And it was at a time where people were kind of, you know, used to TV and getting ADD. And so it was a show of pundits and political uh, talk. Uh, talking about the news of the day. Yeah. And he really would hardly let anybody finish. Yep. He would just go around quickly and he was like sort of a You're dictator. You're cut off. Yeah. yeah. He was like, all right, da, 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 and, and it was fun to watch. It was a spectacle. And it was for our ADD minds. Uh, this is, you know, young Gen Xer. I really liked it. I felt I got totally. a lot out of it. It was slightly entertaining. Yep. And, and you, you don't see that liberal, format. Token Republican. Yes. Everybody's thrown in together, right? Yeah. So we're going to do our own version of it. We are. We're joined by a few ETF nerds, and we're going to talk about the ETF topics of the day. Yeah. And yes, they're nerds, but they're pundits. So when the McLaughlin Group had these political pundits on, these are the ETF equivalent of those pundits. They're just ETF pundits. In fact, when I do conferences... I'll frequently be on a panel called The Pundits, and it's with these people. These are also the people that you uh, know me from being on that competition where I always come in third or fourth place. To these guys. Which disappoints you, and I'm sorry, yeah. but it's th- these are the pundits that I see in the circuit and who are usually the ones you see quoted, and they're really lively. I become friends with them, and uh, it should be exciting. So we're going to talk about new regulations. Yep, and we won't let them blather on and on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of You're play McLaughlin a You're little McLaughlin. bit here. Yeah, we're going to keep this quick and rapid fire, and get this. I'm going to see if we can get through 20 questions. This week on Trillions, nerds. We're going to launch right into introductions. Let's start off Dave. Dave Nodig, Managing Director, ETF.com. Tom. Tom Lydon, Editor of ETF Trends. Todd. Todd Rosenbluth, Director of ETF and Mutual Fund Research at CFRA. All right, question number one. Todd, is too much attention paid to the expense ratio? Most definitely. So we've seen a race to the bottom, but there are products that compete with one another where the exposure is quite different from one another. You have VWO and IEMG. 100 basis point difference this year in performance, the exact same fee. We've got dividend products that are the same thing. If you're buying market cap weighted products, it may not matter. If you're doing anything else, you really got to look under the hood. Dave. It always matters because uh, fees are important. But I think what Todd was trying to say but stumbled over his own tongue is exposure matters way more than fees. And that's the number one thing that determines your performance. But Tom... yeah, isn't there a uh, a backlash against paying too much in the past? Then is it understandable that people want uh, their investments for absolute dirt cheap? Yeah, price is important, but major market indicators. If you're paying four basis points, great. But as we see, thematic factor, multi-factor, you're going to pay up a little bit more for it. Compare that to mutual fund expense ratios; it's crazy. Tom's like the smooth jazz station. 
<laughs> he, he goes is. with the top of his head. Yeah, he is the smoothest <laughs> of us all. All right. Um, and my two cents, I think plain vanilla, I, you know, expense ratio should rule. I think when you get to more exotic areas, uh, you should pay a little bit. People do need to make a living here. Okay. Number two, how will a bear market affect ETFs? Dave? Uh, it's going to be great for ETFs because it's going to flush out a lot of overpriced, underperforming, low active share active managers. All that money comes into the ETF industry. We've seen it over and over again. We see it when we have a one-month downturn. We see it when we have a one-year downturn. Tom? Well, we haven't talked about this before, but a lot of money is going to go into mutual funds, money market funds, uh, short-term fixed income. The industry is going to be hurt. Todd? Yeah, I think people don't want to pay much when they're losing money. So the, the less that they can pay through, through ETFs, uh, through both fixed income and equity products, I think is going to garner more interest. I agree. Um, look, the the, bear, the bull market has actually been way better for active than most people think. Assets have increased in active funds by $7 trillion. That's more than all of passive. A bear market we bad not only for flows, but just for their sort of asset growth. How responsible for this epic bull market that we've been in, which also happens to be an insanely boring bull market, how responsible for that are ETFs? Not. I would say ETFs are a symptom of that, not a cause. Yeah, it's just the wrapper. So if the stocks inside are going up, then the ETF is going to go up. But there's so much more money that's in active management, either in a mutual fund wrapper or individual stocks than, or separate accounts, than it is the ETF. The ETF is riding in the backseat of the car, not driving. Yeah, that's it. They've just been along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, One Direction has a lot of sales. It's not really an MP3 thing. <laughs> okay. Number a big slap across the face. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you got you kind of got taken down there, Joel. Um, welcome to the club. All right. Uh, number three, which ETF provider is most likely to crack the top five that isn't there now? Tom. I'm going to say Wisdom Tree. If you look at Wisdom Tree in there, did I take your? You pick? took mine. Yeah. Well, the whole idea is they were built on the currency strategy, and when the dollar is strong, it's really, really tough for them. But when you look at the way John O'Steinberg put the thing together, it's really well positioned that when things start to cool off here in the U.S. and heat up overseas, and especially in developing countries, it's going to be huge. So, as simple minds would say, don't you forget about me. (laughs) (laughs) Tom obviously listens to this podcast. I love it, Tom. We're going to have, like, we should put together a Spotify playlist for this afterwards. (laughs) Well, we did get a request. Somebody has asked, asked us, like, can you list the tickers you cover? I've been asked that about the TV show, too. Um, Actually, now if we're you gonna want, to list the songs. Act, Eric, how about this one? Would you make someone a mixtape of all the songs that come up on this episode? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, honestly, the more like Upon realistic request. one is, is a is a list of mixtape of the tickers we cover. I think that's the, okay. the main goal. Anyway, Todd. Oh, we're back to the questions. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Back I mean, on you, the road. you have Top to be five. ready, dude. I was, I was. So, so J.P. Morgan. So J.P. Morgan is crashing the ETF party. They're about to hit the top ten with their beta builder products being a driver, and with active management and with multi-factor. I really think they're going to put the resources behind growing in this space. They're not in it just to be on the outside. They're in it to be in the top five. I, I think the more interesting question is top four because Charles Schwab is going to kick Invesco Power Shares to the curb on that front. Charles Schwab is rapidly headed towards a top top three player. Right, what? but they're already five. Right. No, I know. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, hijacking right. your question. Okay. So we haven't talked First Trust. Is, is yeah. First Trust in the game? Uh, see, that was my pick. First Trust to me is like the a uh, quiet baller. Uh, no matter what they put out, they come up with a billion dollars. They have, whenever I talk to people on the street, they say, nobody salespeople is like First Trust. So 
I would go with First Trust. I think J.P. Morgan Goldman is a good sort of uh, outside. And I like all your answers, actually, but uh, I would have to First go Trust with First Trust. First Trust is too easy. They're number six, right? I, I mean, know. That is also But they are, <laughs> they are a machine. They are a machine. They are a machine. They are Distribution machine. counts, you yeah. know. All right. Number four, which ETF category will see the most innovation in the next five years, Dave? Uh, thematic ETFs. I think that's where you're seeing most of the interesting stuff happen right now. You're going to see more active product there. Uh, and I think that's where you're going to see most of the headline stories. It won't be where all the assets are. That'll still be low-cost beta. But I think the stories are all going to be thematic. Todd? Yeah, I think fixed income is where we're going to start to see this. We've started to see asset growth and it's mostly in the broadly diversified products. But I think there's a lot you can do from an active perspective in an index wrapper or an ETF wrapper. And a lot of very smart people who work at asset management companies who are going to be looking for new roles, creating an index is going to be very important. Tom? I think active, active equity. We get a bear market in stocks. There are a couple ETFs that are poised to go all cash. And if they catch it on the downside and sidestep it and then get in on the upside, here's a a situation where ETF company can set themselves apart performance-wise, show that alpha, and there are billions that come in there. I, I, don't, I don't buy that these cash flippers that, that go in and out of the market are going to be the thing. Yeah, one of them will catch lightning in a bottle, but I don't think investors buy that that's a repeatable thing. Okay, so they'll be late because they'll buy it after the fact for sure. But Meb Faber wrote this trend-following uh, white paper in 2007. Nobody read it. Nobody at all read it. After the fact, after the bear market, 100,000 downloads. So it's crazy. Unfortunately, investors are late, but from a performance standpoint, somebody's going to be in the position to get it. So I'll riff off of Tom and say alternatives. And the reason I say that is because if you don't have this sort of easy market uh, and there is some, some down or volatility or, or a couple of years that are uh, negative, anything that's shorting is going to look really good. And I think then you'll see a lot of uh, some flows. And then, of course, you'll see the innovation on top of that. There's been a lot of innovation, but I think there'll be more. All right. Number five, what's the problem with ESG ETFs? How come no one is buying them, Todd? I just think people want to buy simple things uh, from an ETF wrapper so far. And so, and the other part of it, the problem is, is that the money that's in these mutual funds is sticky. People are not performance chasing when they're buying based on what matters to them from a social responsibility, from a governance perspective, an environmental perspective. See, I just butchered it. I made an S-E-G on that. It's also complicated for people. So I think the money isn't flowing from mutual funds to ETFs the way it is for traditional active management. Maybe at some point it will. Dave, I know, yeah, you're a contrarian Well, I think that money is going to come. I think it's a long, slow trickle. We have a $30 trillion uh, generational wealth transfer that's happening. That money will hit ESG as that money changes hands, but it's just going to take time. That money is going to be very sticky, and it's never going to leave. Once that money is in an ESG fund, it's stuck. Yeah, but will the firms survive? Will the the products stay out there long enough? Will the firms be patient enough with products to be able to do that? We see products close after a few years when they can't gather So the big thing is, can they hang with the major market indexes, number one, and can some, in fact, provide alpha? All the backtesting shows that there is some alpha to be gained there. That's the question. And Well, let me flip that around on you, Dave. Uh, this whole, Everybody says millennials are going to be the ESG, um, uh, the people who buy ESG. But look, let's face it. You just said boomers are going to transfer. Boomers were the biggest hippies of all generations. How is why is nobody selling to them? Why are they? Why are they oh, come? they were. Because that's where all these guys in Portland, Maine, came from that started the ESG revolution. But that's not where this transfer is coming from. This is coming from very high net worth baby boomers who are managing multi million dollar portfolios, but they're seventy years old. Those folks are handing that money down. All the surveys suggest that 
ESG concerns are going to be a major factor in that wealth transfer. But is there pressure from institutions and foundations to actually allocate in that area as well? Well, yeah, that's what's building these products. You look at what's come out in ESG already. It's been driven by institutions. The wealth transfer is what follows. Right. But uh, my point is, doesn't every generation have sort of the ESG thing going on until they get kids, responsibilities, and money, and then they forget? They're just too busy. Yeah. that It's easy to say that, but we've never seen the kind of response we've seen to investor surveys that we see right now, right? When when 45-year-olds walk in with their parents, they talk about this with financial advisors. It's showing up as the number one concern ahead of performance. Now, I don't believe that. Performance always wins, but it's definitely number two. Um, okay, number six. Will there be a Bitcoin or crypto ETF by the end of 2019, Todd? No. Oh, I, I see we moved the, the, or maybe we haven't moved the goalposts a little bit on this. But no, I don't think there is. The SEC has concerns about it. There isn't the data to back up that this can be handled in a way without fraud. It's a hard thing to overcome proving that. And I think what we've seen recently is people have gotten hurt and in investing in it. And I don't think the SEC is making a valuation call as a result of this. But bad headlines saying people are, are getting hurt with these products does not make it easier for these products to get approved. Tom? Uh, they're getting hurt because the value of the crypto is going down. Uh, there really hasn't been anything that's been fishy underneath. SEC's looking at it for sure. They're trying to get their arms around it. It will happen by the end of 2019. Yeah. And with the caveat that my parent company is Cebo Global Markets, which lists Bitcoin futures, I think futures-based products are going to be where this happens. It's really hard for the SEC to say you can invest in oil futures and nat gas futures, but you can't invest in crypto futures. They settle the same way. They trade the same way. I think it's just a matter of time. I think the time is 2019. I agree with you. I do think it'll be a coin-based one first, although given that you work at CBOE, I have to sort of defer that you probably are right. But I think a coin-based would be better. Nobody tells me anything, so don't worry about that. Because with futures, you got to roll them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to roll futures. That's troubled a lot of ETFs. And it's an extra layer of complication that I don't think you'd get from the physical. How do you get trading? How do you get storage right? I know I would rather buy a physically backed one than a futures one if I had a choice. Yeah, but to use an 80s reference from baseball, Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame. I think if we go 10 years forward... The most feared hitter in baseball from the 80s is not necessarily a a mantra that's going to get you in. The statistics don't back up. He's going to be in there. The data doesn't back up to the SEC today. Maybe it will, but today it doesn't seem like they're comfortable with it. Okay, number seven. Will there be a zero expense ratio ETF in the next 12 months, Tom? Yes, absolutely. Todd? Yeah, I think there will be. Dave? 100% it'll be Schwab. You guys have any other opinion on who it might be? So I do think it's going to be Schwab. I, I would have normally thought Fidelity, except the partnership they have with iShares. I don't think they're going to want to compete with products like ITOT that are commission-free on their, on their platform where Fidelity is playing in the mutual fund space there that doesn't compete. I think Schwab's pretty close to doing it uh, You know, from where they are from an expense ratio standpoint. It just makes sense to gather assets. But, but I think Vanguard is not going to want to give up the low-cost trophy. I think they're going to jump Well, in. you know, everybody but, wants to rule the world, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, the mixtape continues. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ.
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Number eight, what will be the biggest result of the new ETF rule the SEC is implementing probably early next year? Dave? Uh, Increased transparency. I think from an investor perspective, that's the part that really matters. All the other stuff is nerdy crap only I write about. What do you mean by that? Uh, Meaning that they're mandating full portfolio disclosure, display of premiums and discounts, um, putting all the stuff up on websites on a regular basis in a a format that people can actually process. I think that's going to be a big deal. Tom? If you're an advisor, maybe $500 to a billion-dollar advisor, you never before thought about launching your own ETF. Now you can do it. Mm -hmm. Todd? Yeah, I I agree with Dave. I think the cost... Uh, transparency is going to be a big deal. People are going to start to go a little bit beyond the expense ratio. Firms are going to start to market, not just on the expense ratio, since we've seen a race to the bottom there. I would also add that I do think you'll see um, unusual products launch because it'll be quicker and easier. Yep. And I think you could see a lot more um, the stuff that people roll their eyes at. At the same time, I think you could see more active managers uh, jumping in with uh, products that are related to their strategies. Uh, number nine, is smart beta a fad that will go away once this ETF rule gets implemented and it's more likely to have more active launches. Tom? No, factor strategies are always going to be there. Single factor, multi-factor, anything that's not market cap weighted to a great degree is smart beta. And if it's indexed, it's not active. Dave? In 1992, I was working at Wells Fargo Nico. We ran a strategy called Tilt and Timing. It was a multi-factor strategy. It's never going away. Todd? I don't think there's any reason for it to go away. I think everybody in the industry hates the term and has their own version of the term. But yet, when you see surveys out there, it's understood. People at least realize this is a different approach than market cap weighted or not just the Apples and IBMs of the world, that you are getting a different portfolio. I think this is here to stay and for good reason. People are getting good products and they're getting a slightly twist on on the market cap weighted approach. And I also think there will be an evolution where it's just called active eventually. I mean, because smart beta is active. It's quant active. Yeah, it's quant active, which brings up another question, which is, should the term be killed once and for all? Todd? No, I think it's finally moved into the mainstream and people are comfortable with it. And it's like Kleenex. You know, you don't call it tissue, even regardless of the brand or what it is. I think people are comfortable with it. Everybody that doesn't work in the industry realizes what it means to some extent. I think it's here to stay and for good reason. Tom? I think we should change um, ETFs. The acronym, people still get it wrong. Tom, I'm with you, man. We should call them X funds. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Uh, Don't fight a brand where you can't win. ETFs are here to stay. SmartBeta is here to stay. (laughs) Number 11, where will ETF growth come from the most? Which sort of investor type? Institutions, advisors, or do-it-yourself retail? This will be in the next five years, Todd. So institutions. I really think that in many cases, they've been late to the party. The rules haven't been fair for them. Insurance companies have about 1% of their potential assets invested in fixed income ETFs. The rule has now just changed to make it so you can call fixed income ETFs fixed income. And I think we've started to see uh, the use of ETFs instead of other futures and forward contracts as well. I really think they're going to help to drive that and improve liquidity, which then helps everybody else add as well. Dave? 
Uh, 100% agree. Advisors are a pretty tapped market. 60% of advisors now use ETFs in some fashion or another. Retail will get there, but defined contribution 401k is not going to really drive anything because mutual funds make more sense there. It's all coming from institutions. Tom? They got it. And I will add that institutions, if you look at their 70, 80 trillion in total assets, only about 1% to 2% is an ETF. So I agree. I'd probably agree. Although, do-it-yourself retail, we had Fidelity Matt Goulet in here, and we asked him what the white space in ETFs was, and he said the retail investor, the direct retail. Because right now, I think that percentage is 10% maybe or less, and there's more education going on. Anyway, um, I put that second. Yeah, and the commission-free expansion and actually no commission products that Vanguard has had and the broadening list, it's making it easier and easier to use ETFs across where it is. I think that's going to grow. I just think there's the pie is potentially so much bigger from institutions if they, if you make a five hundred million dollar trade, much much easier than it is if you know I can't do that individually. Percentage basis, retail will grow faster on a dollar basis. It's institutions dwarf it. I like how Dave did that better than I did. Dave, how big do you think that slice could get if if they only have one percent invested right now? Where do you think it could go? Forty. Wow. Speaking of that, this is a great segue. Question number twelve. We had Bogle on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He gave us a little excerpt from his upcoming book, which was a scoop, which he said, in the future, these big asset managers are going to have to mutualize themselves, adopt Vanguard strategies to survive. Cutting costs will not be enough. Do you agree with this, Dave? Uh, No, because I think capitalism is kind of a force of nature that can't be turned off. Tom? Can you see Abby Johnson going into Dad? Hey, Dad, (laughs) I got an idea. Let's mutualize fidelity. (laughs) I, I think it's going to be even harder for, you know, Companies that are publicly traded, you know, Alliance Bernstein that do- that doesn't have an ETF presence, BlackRock, well, yeah. Bla- right, the BlackRock that has the ETF presence already, that's yeah. already gone in there. But firms that are trying to get in and-, and use this as a way of doing it, I think publicly traded companies are not. Should they? If the better question to me is, should they do that in order to bring costs down? It's certainly something for them to consider, but I don't think they're going to do that because shareholders. No. Well, what do you think the result is in consolidation then, mergers? Yeah, I think yeah. we see what we see right now, which it's, is- It's you, hot. The you know, M&A, M&A is going strong, but it doesn't mean that there's not room for innovation. All right, number 13. Let's talk about buzzwords. You know, Smart beta was the big hit from five years ago. The new buzzword is machine learning and AI. There's been a lot of launches where they just slap the, that term on it. Is this a real thing? Or is it marketing, Dave? I think it's a marketing term for the kind of innovations we've seen in quant investing every day for the last 40 years. Technology is really helping from a research standpoint. You think about anybody coming out of school, want to go into business, they want to go to Goldman, they want to be an analyst, right? You don't need them today. Computers do the whole thing. Um, As far as backtesting, it continues to innovate. Listen, uh, machine learning is going to help in a big way going forward. But as uh, they've said over at J.P. Morgan, we really haven't been tested in a bear market with AI at the helm. Todd? I think it's being used in a mutual fund wrapper more than people realize, and it's been working. And Goldman, for example, has, you know, has a very strong presence using quantitative investing in that way. I think if they and other firms bring that into more of an ETF wrapper, I think it's going to help. But yeah, buzzwords help to get people to pay attention to it. You think you're smarter than an index-based product, which is basically following the same rule book that the computer would. Joel, what do you think of that term? I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely... You've written about it. In yeah, no, I actually think that it, it is totally legit. Um, it takes out a human element. You know, and it means it means something way beyond ETFs too. Keep in mind, like th- this is, I think, going to be 
a technology that continues to evolve, and when people can harness it, it's going to be really powerful. I do think there's a lot of bunk to it, but when it's legit, it's legit. All right, number 14. Do ETFs pose a systemic risk, Todd? No. The ETF is just the vehicle that people are getting exposure to the marketplace. So I don't think there's too much money going into ETFs and are going to cause it. It's still, I think it's 3% of the money that's in fixed income ETFs is the size of the overall fixed income market. I think it's about a little bit bigger than that from an equity perspective. They're, again, I, to use the phrase again, they're riding in the backseat of the car while individual stock pickers are driving the market. When that market becomes volatile, they're going to they're so face some trouble. So flash crash gave ETFs a bad rap. Are we going to see that again? Are we going to see another flash crash again? Yes. You don't know what's going to happen, but something is inevitably going to – a black swan event is going to happen. And yeah, ETFs somebody's going to fat finger futures, which is what the flash crash was. Why does that always come up as an ETF issue? ETFs got hit. So did Procter & Gamble. So uh, will they be painted with the same brush again? Yeah, of course. They're yeah, going to they always get the blame. They'll always get the blame. Yeah, but I, the money that's flown into ETFs since then is what double and triple. It's yeah. not as if <laughs> people stick. got scared right. out it of doesn't this. Stick. Yeah. The only people who are talking about it you know are why? mutual fund companies that want to use that as a reason to say stick with us. We'll hold on to your money till 4 p.m. <laughs> ETFs well, ETFs right now own 7%, 8% of stocks, right? Whether it's Apple, any stock. What number would that have to get to before you thought there was a systemic risk posed, Dave? 75%. Tom? I, I don't think it's going to be a risk at all. All right. Todd? I, I, don't, I would be making up a number that's out there, and like you, I'm not in the prediction business. Yes, you are. Your whole business is predicting like- Not in, not in the what if the <laughs> sky is falling, what do we uh, okay. do when that happens? Not wild scenarios. No. Okay. All right. Now, now that you guys said there's no systemic risk problems, give me one legit concern you do have regarding ETFs. Tom? Um, I think if we get into some thematic ETFs that are illiquid, and you know whether it's emerging markets, emerging market debt, that's a little bit of concern. But over time, we've really done a good job handling it. I, I don't really have any major concerns about liquidity at this point, but... As we continue to branch out and innovate, there are going to be some unfulfilled or areas right now that are not represented in the ETF space that might be a little bit risky going into, especially with the new ETF rule. Okay, Dave. Uh, Similarly, I think that ETFs now give us access to virtually everything, levered oil, whatever it is you want. Uh, We don't have a way of gatekeeping any of those products from individual investors. I think that's a problem. Eric, I know you always talk about your system for red lights or movie ratings. um, But ultimately, it's going to have to be something that comes from a regulatory standpoint. It's going to have to come, frankly, from FINRA. They're going to have to put something in place that actually creates gates for some of the more esoteric products. What would that look like? It could be as simple as FINRA saying that people who access a vehicle like a futures-based product have to sign the same paperwork they would if they were going to open a futures account. Todd? I I think the risk is that people performance chase without understanding what it is they're buying. So they're buying something that was hot, and then they they, they walk away and don't come back to it until they realize that the thing has crashed back down to the middle where it is. I think... The money has gone into ETFs without people understanding what it is they're buying. And if they're buying well-diversified, market-cap-weighted products, then that's great. But in some cases, they're buying things that they shouldn't be buying. Yeah, and I would riff off that. My biggest concern is in line with Bogles, which is over-trading. They're so good. They're so cheap. They're so easy. And you get everything. 
it can be a bit like stepping into a casino and you could lose your mind just trading all day. But you could do that with any, you could do the stocks. Same as it it. ever was. I mean, that's just always how it is. (laughs) I agree. But although to retail investors, there's extra things they serve up. In but, certain ways, but that's that's what's important from the brokerage perspective. The firms that are going with so broad a commission-free offering, how important ETF education is, making sure that there's enough there so that they can try to protect investors from themselves. I actually wonder if there isn't like a different solution that you know. I think of like the conversation we had with Betterman a little bit, which is when you actually go and try and trade something, they warn you about the tax implications of it. So I wonder if there isn't some sort of like technological or behavioral solution that doesn't help incentivize people to not trade too frequently. But that would be, but that would be sort of on a, a platform by platform basis, I think. And and there are pop ups that are on some of the platforms. I mean, they do exist. But I, I hear you. I think. And obviously, our system, like I said, I think there should be movie ratings for ETFs or something akin. We have that. If you have a terminal, uh, give me a call. Um, <laughs> um, okay, number 16, related. If you were the SEC and you had you know, complete control, would you ban leveraged and or VIX ETPs right now, Dave? No, absolutely not. Tom? No. Da- Todd? No, I think they serve a role for some people. I just think they're abused by probably more people than they should be. Yeah, even with what VIX went through... VIX has been very, very low. There's a market there. There's a demand. They're going to come back. All these products do what they say on the tin, and that's the thing. And that's why I said I think the right answer here is gatekeeping these products for certain kinds of investors. If I have a Schwab account, I shouldn't be allowed to trade something based on futures without some sort of positive acknowledgement that I know I'm going to get my face burned off. Well, you know, brokerage firms, you know, the wirehouse firms, they in many cases, they preclude advisors yeah, from doing they this. they ban them, yeah. So the, the difference is a self-directed investor who doesn't want to pay for that extra service or, or, or advice that's there, that's what they're missing out but it on. Shouldn't, it shouldn't be a service to pop, put up a pop-up that says, you haven't filled out futures market paperwork. And but, would that be a DocuSign agreement? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, number 17, will brand name index providers like MSCI, S&P, and hate to say it, Bloomberg, Barclays, be replaced by self-indexing as fee pressures come down, Dave? No. Tom? Uh, it's not a yes or no answer. Over time, it's gradually heading in that direction, especially when you look at, uh, from the cost standpoint, it's going to be a part of it. And there's some companies out there that, you know, 3 4% as far as an indexing charge really mean something. And when you ask the individual investors and you ask the advisors, is it really important that that index name be in there and it tied specifically to it? It's not as important. So since I said institutional investors are going to be a key driver going forward, institutional investors want, in many cases, want that S&P, want that MSCI, want that Bloomberg Barclays behind it. And so the products that are catering to that market – Aren't going to do so, and it. But it's not because they love the brand, right? It's not like nobody got fired for buying IBM. It's because they want to buy an MSCI Emerging Markets product because they know the methodology will match up with how they're thinking about, you know, their U.S. exposure or some other country, right? That commonality of methodology is the reason you pay up to be part of but that. Can if a, you're an can a self-index be close enough? Well, it can if you're not an institution that needs to run it through yeah. a Bloomberg terminal to do analysis. I agree. For anybody not an institution, I think it's 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 going to go that way. Vanguard proved that it doesn't matter. They went to Crisp, uh, Crisp yeah. and they got seven hundred billion in those indexes since then. BlackRock dumped some um, some of our indexes, and they did fine. And I think uh, the one thing that is there's some rock star indexes like S and P five hundred and MSCI Emerging Markets that probably are just too big to mess right. with. 
Okay, last three, which are, I think, more on the lighter side, but I, you know, looking for your legit answers. Number 18, if you could invest in one ETF with your entire life savings, what would it be? Tom? I'm going to say the Invesco Guggenheim Rydex RSP 500 Equal Weight. Wow. That's a good pull. That is. That's not a bad pull at all. Yeah, it's out of the box, but not that crazy. What's that ticker? RSP. So this basically is S&P 500, except every stock gets the same weighting, which I think is 0.2%. Yeah. Todd. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to get to this question, so I didn't have an <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let Todd think. Dave. Swab total market. Okay, so I'm that's just super boring. S-C-H-B. B? B, yeah. Todd. Yeah, I would go with total market, a total market product as well. So iShares, I-T-O-T. Yeah. And why would you pick that one over Schwab? I think I like the S&P brand that's behind it as well. Can I you write a limerick for. around that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the fly? I mean, there, there's, you know, at that, you've got Vanguard's VT, VTI. Yeah, so I would go with VT. Yeah. That's the total market plus the international. It's global. Right. So it's basically the whole equity side in one shot. Now, there are asset allocation ETFs, but for some reason, I don't like them. Nobody no, does. Nobody likes They them. do bonds and stocks together, but I'd have to go with that VT if I had to pick. But Why now, doesn't anybody I like have them? A fl- I now have a flashback that I think I got asked this question the last time I was on, and you're going to play the clip when I use a different product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave, uh, that's a good question. Why don't people like the asset allocation ETFs that sort of like do it all for you in one shot? Well, w- the big reason is because a lot of these uh, funds are sold by advisors. And if an advisor puts you in a single product, you fire your advisor, right? So you need to have some breakup of this in order to have a conversation around what the asset allocation is. And also, your risk tolerance is not going to be the same as mine. I'm older than dirt. You're young. You've got a young family. We're going to have different risk tolerances. And traditionally, you rebalance the asset weights to deal with with that. Um, and target date funds have never taken off in ETFs, frankly, because they don't work in 401ks. You guys recently wrote about that, yeah. I think, on ETF.com. Thank you for the plug. That I was, that I was quoted in, so it's not, just <laughs> a shameless, it's, it's not just a shameless plug. Would he have referenced that article if he was not quoted in it? That's the question. <laughs> no way. No, he is too smooth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Joel, do you have an answer for this? Have you I still of- think my great idea for an ETF is the easy button, ticker easy. And I still want that thing to exist, and it's like the only thing. Fidelity One F. That was the idea, but nobody put any money in it. Well, big idea doesn't mean it's not a great idea, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't take it from me. A blast from the past of the '80s. Okay, number nineteen. If you could invest in only one ETF with the ten percent of your account that you have some fun with, what would you pick, Dave? Ooh, that's tricky. Um, Wow. Okay, Todd. Somebody come back to me. I feel like I'm, I didn't mean to be using iShares again, but I like MTUM. So I think putting a little bit momentum behind it, I think the trend is your friend. If it's part of the portfolio in, in, a, in a slice instead of the whole portfolio, I think it can add a little juice to it. You're so risky. It's 10% of my portfolio. Uh, sometimes do you have after dinner mints before dinner? <laughs> I'm going to get crazy and take my socks off. I have, I have a crazy answer. My crazy answer is EMLC, Emerging Market Local Currency Debt. Oh, that's good. Wow, that's a good Whoa. one. But uh, 10%? You're, you're not going to hit a home run with there. that, though. What? You're not going to hit a home sure run. Sure you could. Not like... No, I mean, it's not yeah. going to triple. No. Yeah. Why that one? Well, because I think most people don't take enough risk with their bond portfolios in general. It's easy to grab Hack or, you know, you know, ARC or something that's out there on the edge pushing technology. But that's also where you would play with single stocks. EMLC is something I'm never going to buy on my own. I am not going to go figure out how to buy South African debt. A- <laughs> A-R-K-K. 
Yeah, that's see, the art that's innovation. The yeah. yeah, right. So, okay, so it's got. We talked about uh, AI. We, a little active robotics, management. active management. It's got genome sequencing in there. I mean, it's kind I, of a theme, thematic greatest oh, hits. Man, and if you ever go see those people, they have an open house every Wednesday afternoon. You they're can sit great. around and chat with the analysts. Uh, they're doing some stuff that's pretty special. I would go with MJ, and I say that because All right. I like <laughs> ETFs that are out there wrapping up a toddler industry that you think is going to grow big, which I do. And has no, and these these companies will take them years to get in. A lot of them get uh, it's an acquisition. It's a a lot of targets for acquisitions in there, and I just think that's part of investing is speculating, and that's what I would go with. How about you, Joel? I don't think part of investing is speculating, but <laughs> if we're playing that game, well, this is this is the ten percent. Well, uh, maybe one percent, right? But the micro cap question, I always like that one, Eric. Going into the trying to get the super super small stuff that might have a huge payout. Yeah, and the microcaps interesting. There's a thousand microcaps, and um, almost none of them are even in the broad market. But and Dave's shaking his head. He's down ETFs on that. are the wrong way to play microcaps because you can't because you can't close them, right? So what, yeah. if you want a microcap, you want to go find some actively managed, you know, probably too expensive mutual fund that can close the fund when it hits a billion dollars. Because if it's microcaps, you can't buy enough of them to matter in yeah, an ETF. That's a great mm. point. Slap down again. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Joel. <laughs> all right, Joel. I'm going to let you ask the last question since it's it's what your how we close all the shows. Okay, so Dave, favorite ticker? Uh, you know MJ. I think MJ is a fantastic ticker. Tom, favorite ticker? Uh, the Wisdom Tree Short Ag ETF. Shag. Shag. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. So you are going back to the 80s. Right? Yeah. That was early 90s, I think. Well, okay, and, and okay. Well, the '60s shag. And Todd, what was what was your favorite last time, and has it changed? So I don't remember what I had last time, but it has uh. changed because I actually wasn't caught off guard with this. And since we are doing an '80s theme here, in the '80s, I was eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly. So PB PBJ. And PBJ. No way. What is that? PBJ is the Invesco Dynamic Food and Beverage, beverage uh, yeah. Portfolio. Yeah, it's like so. chicken and beer. Yeah. Companies, it's like a, and companies that make peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, wow. honestly, the, the holding. Yeah, it's like what you when you go to a barbecue. It's these companies basically provide all the stuff. Hacks, hacks, a good second choice. Uh, hack is really good. Yeah, ha- I like hack. I like verbs. So I like moo hack. That's why I would a toke. I think is a gem. So I'm a big <laughs> verb guy. I like verbs. So I would have to go with hack. I think. My my new favorite is is Nash. I mean, it's not like it's a new product, but I just love the fact that it's somebody closed. had the it idea. Closed, man. It's closed, but, man. But, okay, all right. Well, fine. There you go. <laughs> you saw the Nashville ETF? Yeah, man. I love the yeah. idea that somebody like took a city and wrapped it in an ETF. <laughs> and no one bought it. <laughs> we need, we need an NYC. It's funny. We have some nerds here, so can you guys tell me how Nash wasn't the first local ETF ever. The, there was Oklahoma, the Oklahoma ETF. Yes, yeah. there was an Oklahoma ETF. <laughs> I mean, talk about being ahead of your time. <laughs> they thought, oh, there's there's hardly anything in fixed income and commodities. Let's let's do Oklahoma. <laughs> well, we hope we bring them back one day. They brought E.F. Hutton back, didn't they? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, the, the Philly- and there was a Texas, right? There was a Texas ETF, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. There, the, the person who came up with local shares, I did meet him. He did want to do other cities. They should just go probably- through and do every airport in the world. So you get you know, ORD and JFK. and just Well, Nashville, they were saying there that there's- JFK. It's, there is a JFK. It's a... I'm pretty confident that that's like one of the iShares small or no, it's JKF. JKF. Oh, yeah. see, okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm still thinking about ETFs being EFT. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, just, I got a great I got a great send-off. 
Thank you, nerds. <laughs> well, guys, thank you very much. This was great. We got a, I mean, it's a talk about cramming a lot into one podcast. Joel, did you learn anything? I learned a lot, um, mainly that you guys really like to slap down non-nerds, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Gatekeeping, man. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. See you guys on the flip side. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you. for having Thanks. us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillion. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can find Dave Nodig at Dave Nodig, N-A-D-I-G. Tom Lydon at Tom Lydon, L-Y-D-O-N. And Todd at, at Todd C-F-R-A. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.